When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to, I think this is episode 67 or 68 now of the Who's Number One podcast. Just like last week, I'm calling in from a hotel on Friday. I'm going to be doing this for the next three weeks while I'm traveling back and forth to Dallas to cover fight to win events and all that. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of exciting stuff going on. Uh, as we know, fight to win 139-140 happened last week, 141's this week, and 142 next, the week after that. Got a big announcement coming soon on another Who's Number One event coming, a no-gi version. Third coast coming, but today, joining me from New Jersey, we got Tom and Blast. Tom, how you doing, man? I'm good, my friend. How you doing? Oh, good, man. Staying busy. I mean, it's really, uh, really exciting to, to uh, be back in the swing of things with live events. I mean, that's pretty cool, being going on the road and working events. Yeah, man. I, uh, I agree. We need some kind of normalcy back in our life. You know, this is, for many people, this is therapy. You know, even if it's just watching an event or being present at an event or watching it online, you know, it's, uh, it's therapeutic for everybody. Yeah. It sort of came back quicker than I thought. Uh, uh, what before we had these type of, I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit, man. Say that again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no problem. Uh, yeah, it sort of came, it came back a little bit quicker than I thought. Uh, what about for you? Did it come back, uh, sooner than you thought live events? Uh, I mean, yes and no, right? Because I'm in New Jersey, and New Jersey basically is like the slowest moving state among all of the states besides California. But uh, yeah, I didn't think Fight to Win would be back so soon, but I'm very thankful that they are. You know, uh, I, I was actually concerned the other day thinking about like live events. Like, you know, I'm running the trials in November, and it's like, man, like, uh, I'm all for it, but is is the government gonna be for it you know so it's a very uh interesting time but i'm happy there's some normalcy back with the events running and people training and getting back after it yeah the uh the trials that's a good point because adcc trials i mean at least they, they're not to the fall but uh yeah you might have to move those things down to texas if things don't don't clear up but i mean uh i mean the way the way fight to win is doing it, like everybody gets like a temperature check, signs a waiver. What November is what five five months from now or something? I, six months from now? I don't. You would you would think we'd be able to have ADCC trials, and I hope so. If not, something went horribly wrong. Hold on one second, Shane. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, guys. Guys, you need to be quiet, man. Please. Sorry about that, man. I'm so sorry. I apologize. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, so uh, so fight the winds coming back and everything. That's all good. I, we got another one uh, this weekend. So some big news with you, uh, obviously, was you just announced that you're going to restart your MMA career. 
You're going back to one, right? Yeah, man. Uh, who who would have thought? What's happening? You know, uh, this pandemic has definitely put me in a in a new mindset that I didn't know even existed anymore. You know, I feel like a, a young man again as far as my desire and my the fire that I possess. I, I've gotten a little, you know, uh, stagnant during this pandemic, and uh, it's very hard to stay still. You know, and uh, and I have no interest in like a grappling event right now, and. I was totally opposed to MMA, but I really like the way Shatri runs, and he's a he's the CEO of One FC. I've been to like five One events with Gary, uh, or four, and I think it's really amazing how they do things. You know, it's very much the samurai code and the samurai spirit. And uh, I don't look at One as like MMA; it's more of like a, a way of life, you know. And uh, I really enjoyed their show, uh, and I and he messaged me and. During this time, I just I felt it was God's plan. I I couldn't say no. You know, it's not even like oh I'm gonna go in there and knock this person out or that person out. No, I'm just I'm staying busy. You know, I'm bored. Uh, I I'm I'm hungry. I I'm I mean not like actually hungry. I'm hungry to to do something and and to move forward and uh you know start a new chapter in my life and you know add to my story and we'll see what happens. You know, hopefully I do well. I I, I think I will. How long had you been planning on that when you when you made that announcement? Is it something you had been thinking about for a while, or is it pretty new? Man, so I posted some video of me like hitting the bag and uh, hitting pads, and I said, you know, I put a number out there what I would be willing to fight for, not thinking that someone would come back and offer me that number. And uh, <laughs> the next week, here we are. They they said, hey man, you want to fight? And this is what we'll offer you. And it was too good to to walk away from. And I just I truly felt it was God's plan, you know. And uh, that right there is when I accepted it. And it's different now because I'm not going in claiming to do anything. I'm not going in like, I'm not going to talk trash. I'm not going to like, I'm not looking to fight anybody specifically. I'm just looking to get better and to get myself in the best shape that I possibly could get in. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more of the, believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a boxer than I am a jiu-jitsu guy, you know? So it's really, uh, it's fun to throw hands again and hit pads and prepare in this way. But uh, it's exciting, you know, win, lose, or draw, it's going to be like a really good experience. Now, you uh, had retired previously, you were 9-2, and two, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good MMA record. Why did you walk away at that point? I mean, at that point, you would think, you know, you're ready to break through. 9-2 is pretty impressive. Why did you walk and uh, hang it up at that point? You know, in the beginning, MMA, like, wasn't, it didn't treat me the best. Like, I, I didn't have the best experiences uh, with my training, with uh, my fights, even the fights that I won. Like, I, I was always left feeling uneasy. And I don't think I was necessarily ready for that step mentally at that time, you know. Uh, I didn't have, like, the the following and, you know, the, the, the backing that I have now. Or just, I wasn't as well known as I am now, you know, so now you see my Instagram, I have people talking trash every day and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. fine. I'm used to it. I don't take offense. But at that time, I really didn't understand or even knew that happened. So when, you know, like when people are talking and like, that's not the type of guy that I was, you know, like if I ever had a problem with somebody, like I would see that person face to face and we would talk about it or we would fight, you know, and, and that's what it was. Like I'm a very upfront guy. So to have you know, so much talk online. I, I really didn't like it. 
And, you know, now I just don't care what anyone says. They could say whatever they want. Uh, you know, one really isn't an event where there's a lot of trash talk. But even if there was and somebody wants to say they're going to knock me out, it's okay. They could say whatever they want. They could say they're going to demolish me and beat me. People could say they want to see me get hurt. I, I just don't care what anyone says. Uh, this is my life. And, you know, I feel mentally ready now. And I was curious how I would be physically. But, man, I'm cracking harder than ever. I'm hitting hard. Uh, my shape is coming back really fast. And I didn't lose any speed. One thing about me is I was a very fast guy for my weight class. And I still have the equal speed that I had uh, when I was fighting, you know, seven years ago. So I never took much punishment, you know. Uh, I didn't get, like, I never had stitches in a fight. You know, I, you know, I got my nose broken and stuff. But, I mean, I've gotten injured over the years, like ACL and meniscus. But I, I didn't have, like, many wars where I got, like, beat up in the cage. You know, my two losses were decision losses. And they were very, very close losses. Never been dropped. Never been knocked out. You know, so I'm relatively uh, fresh for for the MMA game. You know, I, I believe the MMA game is has a lot to do with how many miles you take, not necessarily your age. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, yeah, you, you went out a uh, pretty good note, too. Two uh, stoppages in Bellator. I think uh, some surprise, but you jiu-jitsu guy, you have more knockouts than you have submissions in your fighting career. Yeah, I really don't even look to go to the ground. I look to throw hands. It's a fight, you know. So for me, <laughs> yeah. if I have the opportunity to fight, I want to fight. You know, I like to fight. I've always liked to fight. Uh, I'm not afraid to get hit, and I'm not afraid to hit, you know. So that's where I definitely differ from most jiu-jitsu guys. Uh, a lot of jiu-jitsu guys are a little, you know, stagnant on their feet or a little unnatural on their feet, where for me it's very natural to be on my feet. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I – I definitely had, a, I think I finished seven out of my nine fights, and I think four of those were TKOs or knockouts. I think. I'm pretty sure. Something like that. But, yeah, I know I did have more knockouts than I did submissions. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, seven out of nine. Yeah. Seven out of nine. Four knockouts, three subs, two by decision. Uh, so, one, uh, I don't know too much about one. One of my MMA experiences, mostly watching stuff like UFC and Bellator. What's, what's it like over at One FC? You said you really like the uh the style of promotion they are what 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 do you like about it what's it like you know they embody the asian culture and you know if like even during the fight there's not like talking like people are quiet watching the fight you can hear the cracks from you know the the top row uh people aren't booing they're not screaming at you like everybody appreciates the fighters like the fans are phenomenal and that's one thing that's different like the american fans aren't always the nicest fans, you know, like they could be very brutal. They just want to see blood. They just want to see people getting beat up and people getting hurt. And one doesn't do that at all. Um, and they don't really like trash talk either. Like they don't really want their fighters being disrespectful uh, to where the Americanized version of MMA is very much um, built upon a lot of talk and entertainment and trash talk. And that was just never for me. I just don't like that so much, you know, and uh, they're just a very professionally ran event. You feel like you're a modern day samurai. You know, and it's uh, it's pretty awesome. And Shatri, the owner, is just a really super successful guy that's so down to earth, you know, wears a G-Shock, you know, drives a Toyota. He, he doesn't put himself above anybody. He wants to inspire you. And it's pretty great to be able to be inspired by the promotion owner of a fighting event because generally speaking, promoters aren't the most inspiring guys, you know, and uh, he really is, which is it's pretty commendable. Yeah, people seem to really like him. 
see, I always see his fighters tagging him and stuff and all that. So, are you going to go back to light heavyweight? Is that what weight class you're coming to? I think heavy, man. I think heavyweight. I'm like 242 right now. Uh, I want to get down to like 230, and I probably that's where I'll fight at like 230. Uh, you know, whether I'm fighting a heavyweight, like like so, basically the height is very similar at heavyweight, light heavyweight, and middleweight. You know, six two, six three, six one, six four. So I'm always short because I'm only six foot. So it's like I would rather fight bigger against bigger guys and be able to punch. You know, like the the issues I had in grappling with heavier guys is that they just laid on top of me and they stalled. It's very hard to lay and stall and just to actually stall an MMA when you're able to get punched in your face. So I believe that, you know, I'll be able to inflict some damage before people put their hands on me. I hope so anyway. Uh, so I think I have a significant speed advantage against a lot of the heavyweights. Right now, I had talked about this with Gary a little while ago, but it, with the uh, closed door, I'm sure you're going to have to wait a little while. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at like late fall, but we have to see okay. like the travel, the, the travel restrictions and everything. I need to get in fight shape anyway, but I'm hoping by late fall, everything will be good as far as travel. I'm hoping this is just a very, very crazy time. You know, no one knows anything. And that's the thing. We're left guessing, like, when are we going to be able to do anything and get back to life, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's the worst part about it. Speaking of which, I mean, I'm sure this is something you've thought about a lot as a school owner. What do you think the future is for jujitsu schools in the, uh, after this uh, pandemic? I think we're going to be okay. You know, I think it's very unfortunate that so many schools are going out of business. I think it's imperative that you have your online classes running smoothly. You know, I, I've done that since day one. We put, we put a, we put out like 85 to 90 zoom classes so far since this pandemic has started. Uh, now, you know, we're meeting in small groups and stuff like that. And I think, you know, we just have to stay resilient and we have to remember the resilience it took to got here to, to get here to get to the point we're at and you know it's going to take a little bit of rebuilding but the people who want to train they're going to train the people who are afraid to train because of the virus rightfully so which they can be it's generally the people that they're not going to train to begin with you know so i mean the crazy thing about this is like how, we would have heard like there hasn't been really any healthy jiu-jitsu guys that have died from this virus that we've heard about you know uh, we also haven't heard healthy jiu-jitsu guys giving it to their family members and killing them either. We haven't heard of that. Um, and I pray to God it stays that way. And I'm not saying that the virus isn't real, but I think life must go on. You know, for me personally, I would much rather I, – I, I don't – this has nothing to do with me being tough. I just don't fear death. It's not something I've ever feared. I used to pray for it, to be quite honest. Uh I, I have my faith. I, I, I trust in where I'm going. And if my time is going to be next week, it's going to be next week. If it's going to be next year, it's going to be next year. But I don't like, you know, stopping life entirely, indefinitely. I did believe with the quarantine for the first month. Now it's like, man, what are we going to do? There may never be a vaccine. So I think jujitsu guys need to understand that, like, there's other things we could do. We could do movement drills, uh, we could do, you know, come in. What I'm going to allow is my is family members of my students. I'm going to allow them to come in and train together this way that they're training with people that they live with and they don't have to worry 
about, you know, contact with other people. I have 6,000 square feet, so I have a very big academy. So, you know, I'll be able to work around it. And, you know, people in New Jersey right now in this state, they're reaching out to me that aren't even students telling me that they want to enroll. So, I mean, if that's any indication of where jiu-jitsu is going to be, I know a lot of people, they're singing the blues and saying this is crushing jiu-jitsu indefinitely. Like, I don't know if people want this to happen or what. Like, I have a positive outlook to where I believe jiu-jitsu is going to be okay. You know, I, I, I can't see, like for sure, personally, I, I don't accept failure. There's no way that I'm not going to be okay. You know, like this is going to be all right. Uh, this is giving me the opportunity to reach and touch fans around the world through my Zoom classes. Every Zoom class I give sells out. And it's like, uh, you know, this is a really crappy time for a lot of people, but I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, I had initially thought like, I was worried about, like, oh, are people going to be scared about, like, new people joining up and training because of the, uh, of the situation? But I think there's going to be a lot of people coming out of the situation who are just wanting to do something, too, wanting to get out there and get active and, and pick up a new, new activity or something. You know, a lot of people are, are ready to go, right? I think that's what it is, man. You know, this is this is mental health right now. People are depressed. They're bored. They don't have anybody they're hanging out with. They need something. So, you know, I, I definitely think that, uh, yeah, I think people are going to get out there and, and they're going to, uh, they're going to train. I think they want to. I think we have to. What else are we going to do? You know, just wait, wait for a vaccine, play golf. I don't know. Yeah. That's not really an option. Uh, then, uh, obviously, you're, What's your role with ADCC, uh, like a director for the North American trials, or what? what is your position there? Yeah, I run ADCC North America, the trials. Uh, I run the East Coast. Mo runs the West Coast. Uh, I basically was after ADCC uh, 2015, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, 2015 in Brazil. Uh, I was sitting at the Brazilian barbecue afterwards, and one of the bosses, Marco, he saw me and he saw my interaction with my team. And he's like, man, like, I like the way you're kind of in your own world. Like, you're not like following anybody. You do what you want to do. And we haven't had a guy we could really trust around ADCC North America. We've always had issues. And you seem like a trustworthy guy. And, uh, you know, do you think you'll be able to run the trials? I'm like, man, like, I know I'll be able to run the trials, you know, and and uh, they gave me that role, and it's something I take very serious, you know. And and I ran my first trials in 2015, no, 2016, and I competed as well. I competed in the trials that I ran, and uh, that was stressful. And I ended up winning, and then uh, I competed in Finland after that, and then I and I ran the trials again after that. So I ran the last two trials, and I'm scheduled to run these third trials as well. And I don't see this role ever, ever getting taken from me because I'm always going to do it well. You know, and I, I take great pride in the work that I do. My trials have been very smooth. You know, they, they there's no hiccups in my trials. You know, like uh, things are on point, on time, professional. And uh, it's always a good experience for the competitors. So we talked about how you think things are going to be for a business owner. If somebody takes part in putting on events, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. What do you think, what do you think could change about tournament coming out of this? What do you think might be different about putting on a tournament? Man, I don't know. Are we going to be allowed to have spectators? Like, I think that might be the thing that's different. It's like we are only able to have competitors. And, 
maybe run like one division. I don't know. I hope not. I hope we're able to have spectators, but I heard there's not going to be any large gatherings until there's a vaccine. But then I've also heard that there may never be a vaccine. And then what does that <laughs> yeah. mean? And then what does that mean? Are you going to be forced to get the vaccine? Well, I don't know. Good, you good know, point, so I, I really point. have I have no idea what's going to become of this. But it's like, man, how could you just stop life indefinitely? Like, you know, what, what's crazy is like, you know, death is the only thing promised to us, right? Like death is guaranteed. The moment we're born, the only thing promised is that we're one day going to die. And I just don't want to create an entirely new lifestyle to to avoid something that we may not even avoid taking away our quality of living. You know, I like going to events and watching them. I love being able to watch the last ADCC. When I fight, I want people in the stands. And again, it's not just about me. I know everybody likes that feeling. You know, I, I it's a shame and it's terrible that graduates aren't able to have their ceremony. You know, it's just like, man, this is just all so crazy. I never thought I would live to see a time like this. You know, I never thought that we would we would get to here. That's what's scary because it's like we never know what can happen now. You know, like what's next? You know, when people are like, oh, you know, you're overreacting. Are, are we overreacting? You know, the government said jump. We said how high? They said you can't do this. Okay, we can't do it. Well, I mean, when does it stop? You know, what what? What is going to be the limit, you know, with the control that they have? So I don't know, man. I'm very curious. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very good point. So what have you been up to, like, while your school was closed? Uh, wh what did you do while you're on quarantine? Did you, like, pick up any hobbies? Did you work out at home? What did, you, what did you do to get by to pass the time? Well, like, the first, like, three weeks, I, I just taught my Zoom classes for my school, you know, but I wasn't really doing any exercising or anything. And, I was getting out of shape and I was looking in the mirror. I'm like, man, you're becoming the guy that you despise, you know, like you're, you're allowing weakness to, to, to overcome you, you know, I, allowing circumstance to, to rule me. And um, I started exercising immediately after that. So about three weeks into the quarantine, I started walking a lot, like getting in like 10,000 steps a day, you know, again, my normal pushups, my exercises. And then I started training, hitting pads and we have our zoom classes and uh we started running small group sessions we have i'm not i'm not denying it we have and everybody's been okay and uh you know we started running the group sessions in uh I think of what is it, in may like early may you know so we went like like a month and a half with no meeting in person whatsoever you know uh none and just so you guys know your jujitsu heroes we're meeting in small groups. I promise you. I promise you they were. I mean, think about it. There's events being ran this entire time. Suge has been getting, you know, they've been having events this entire time, right? Uh, the underground and people have been competing. And guess what? In order to compete, you must train, right? So there has been people training in small groups this entire time. And basically, man, I've just been obsessed with like, you know, I've been speaking out a lot for small business owners. People have seen, but I've been trying to do it in the most respectful way possible. I have compassion for everybody. Uh, I don't want anyone sick. I don't want anyone passing away, but I also don't want any businesses to be lost, you know? So I've just been re I've been renovating my entire academy, poured a ton of money into it. Uh, new floors, new bathrooms, new hangout room, new furniture. Uh, <clears throat> I've been filming DVDs for BJJ Fanatics, you know? So I've been super busy. I've actually been more busy now 
than I was before this quarantine, which is pretty crazy. And I'm stuck with two yeah, kids yeah. at home. It's, you know, there's no rest. Same here. I don't, I don't have the kids, but yeah, I've been working harder since the quarantine uh, started for sure. Like, I had to, I used to be able to just talk about stuff that happens at events. Now I got to come up with shit on my own. It's a whole, whole, whole different ballgame. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, where was I going to go to next? Uh, yeah, let's go into a little bit about your history with Jiu-Jitsu. How did you uh, originally start training? What, what age did you start training at? I was 19 or 20, uh, and I was actually a track and field athlete, <clears throat> and I was a jumper. I was much smaller. I was very athletic. I ran the 100-meter dash in 10.8, 222.5. Uh, I long jumped 23 feet. High jumped 6'5". And then I tore all the ligaments in my ankle, but uh, I always enjoyed fighting. So my whole life I was fighting, you know, like I, I was always, uh, I was a rough kid, you know, but never a bully. I was, I was just a rough kid. And then after I tore the ligaments in my ankle, I could no longer jump anymore. I, uh, I found jujitsu and uh, Kurt Pellegrino, he's an ex-UFC fighter. He was training yeah. at Ricardo yeah, Almeida. I was training at a small school first in the town next to me, uh, Tong Dragon good school great people but i just i found enough you know i found kurt and he was fighting i heard that he was going to be in the ufc soon so i found kurt and i started training with him and he introduced me to ricardo and then like basically as soon as i went to ricardo's i became one of their main guys you know uh henzo was there high end was there half was there and i was uh i was a white belt man they threw me into the fire i was helping them spar from like day one i was like henzo's main training partner before he fought bj penn and I didn't have much experience. I was just a tough kid, you know, like uh, some of the things that happened back then would be considered abuse now, right? Uh, <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way, man. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's definitely helped mold me into the man that I am today. Uh, you know, and strong in my beliefs and, and my work ethic, it helped me to work really hard. And then, you know, Ricardo was uh, an hour and a half from my house. And I would drive four times a week there, an hour and a half there, an hour and a half home. And it was exhausting, man. It was super tiring, but it was just something that I loved to do. And I was going to college at the same time. I graduated with a degree in education and special education. So I was a school teacher for two years. And then uh, I decided to open my academy. And I got enough students in two months to, to resign from being a school teacher and the rest is history, man. It just, uh, it all worked out for me. Not without sleepless nights and, you know, definitely was very, very nervous throughout my, uh, my years, but we made it through the economy breaking, basically shutting down in 2008, 2009 with the housing market. We opened and then we made it and, uh, you know, we're still going to make it through this as well. And it's not easy, but we're resilient. Jiu-Jitsu guys, Jiu-Jitsu girls are resilient, you know? So there was a lot of hiccups along the way. Uh, a lot of, a lot of heartbreak, but you know, I just kept coming back every day, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, man, talk about a different era, right? It's like you were a beginner and you're helping Hanzo get ready to fight BJ Penn. You would never see something like that nowadays, right? Like, like uh, oh, but, uh, <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah. It's crazy. What, what, yeah. what is, uh, what, what's Ricardo Almeida like? Obviously, he's, he's a beast competitor. Uh, uh, been to the podium at ADCC a few times, fought the UFC. 
But we hear so much about John and about Enzo, but you don't hear much about Ricardo. He sort of goes under the radar. What was what? What's Ricardo Almeida like? A very strong man, very stoic, very serious guy. You know, uh, his presence is felt. You know, like when he walked in the room, if he was having a bad day, you you just knew it. You felt it. You know, and uh, he he was a tough, hard nosed guy, man. You know, like the, there was no softness within him at all. And uh, he wanted done what, what, what he wanted done. And there was going to be no excuses. If you didn't like the way he ran things, you could go to another team. But who are you going to go to? Who was at his level? You know, he, for sure, until this day, has probably, like, one of the – well, not probably, definitely one of the best top games I've ever felt in my life. Uh, phenomenal jiu-jitsu, man. Phenomenal wrestler. Phenomenal MMA. He's a guy that nowadays he could still place top three in ADCC for sure. Not like at his age right now, but like in his prime, right? In his prime, his prime could place top three ADCC for sure. Because if you look at the guys in his weight division that have won, like Philippe, Yuri, you know, stylistically, Ricardo's a very, very tough match for them. Uh, he's a phenomenal wrestler, man. You know, he had that 50-minute battle with Jacare and uh, – they were toe-to-toe, toe to toe. and it's not like it was a slow-paced match. Like, they were athletically attacking each other for 50 minutes, you know? So I've seen Ricardo take down D1 wrestlers. I've seen him submit everybody. You know, he he is a uh, – he's something special, man. He, he He's phenomenal. You know, he definitely helped me to get to where I am today for sure and gave me the vision that to help me create, you know, what I have in my academy and the know-how and the knowledge and the smarts. He's a very educated guy. He's – he reads a lot. He's very smart. He's not like just a dumb fighter, you know, like he has intellect and depth to where a lot of people don't have that, you know, uh, and he does. He's very well spoken. You know, his father was a very successful guy. And uh, Ricardo actually was he was like going to like one of the top schools in Brazil to be like some kind of doctor or lawyer or something. And he just quit. He just wanted to do jiu-jitsu. But his mind is that of somebody who's very elite, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you know when you went into his academy, did you know, like, hey, I'm going to train with a guy who, you know what ADCC was. Did you know, like, he's an ADCC medalist, this and that, or did you just go into a jiu-jitsu academy? No, I knew what it was. So when I first saw him, I was like, oh, yeah. man. This, I was a little starstruck, for sure. You know, I... Uh, I did a lot of research about him, and I, I actually watched him in ADCC. I got, like, the DVDs and stuff. Yeah. It was uh, it was pretty surreal at the time because he was in a racquetball club, you know, and uh, <laughs> there was a spitting class next door. We were in, we were in a in a gym, in Flex Gym, and the walls only went so high. So we would hear, like, the spitting class next door, and we would be training and people riding their bike next door. Uh he got challenged one day, man. There was a huge Samoan guy that, like, came through. And I was like, man, I, I want to fight you, you know. Like, you can't win. And R Ricardo was like, all right, come. You know, and Ricardo just used open hand. And, like, man, he slapped this guy, like, so many times, you know, had him mounted. Boom, slapping him, taught him a good lesson, you know. Nowadays, if we did something like this, he would be considered a bully, you know. Back then, you got what you deserved. Times have changed tremendously. So that was the the challenge match was in the uh, racquetball place next to the next to the spinning class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, what was it like when you first rolled with him? 
I mean, that you jumped straight into it, rolling with ADCC caliber guy right off the bat. What was what was that yeah. like for you? It wasn't fun, bro. It was brutal. Like just like actually, I didn't roll with him first. I sparred with him first. He needed a sparring partner, and I was like, "All right, I'm tough." Like literally, boxing clubs we sparred, and he just whooped my ass, man. Like it was so bad. Like, and he was so mean. Like he wasn't. An, he didn't go easy. Like he, if you stand stood across from him, he was gonna show you who he was, you know. So and who he was is a monster. So there was never an easy training session with him. Kids nowadays. They, they don't really <laughs> – in jiu-jitsu, it's very – I don't want to say it's soft. Well, yeah, it is. It's softer now, you know, like uh, – and which is not a bad thing, but you're definitely – you're coddled a little bit more than you were back then. There's no basic classes. You just went in and you trained. Your, your second day, you're training live against the black belt, and it's like the black belt is not teaching you. You're learning through getting your ass whipped. That's the difference, you know, to where – I don't necessarily think that was like a good thing, but for sure, for me, it's what I needed. I don't know if it's for everybody though. You know, I think that's why the retention of jujitsu back then was very scarce. You know, people would often quit same way they do nowadays, but I think even more so back then. Did you compete a lot? Like at the lower belts, white belt, blue belt, purple belt. When, when did you start competing? Uh, I competed moderately as a brown belt is when I really started competing the most. You know, I, 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 uh, I won in every belt locally, but I didn't compete internationally until I was a brown belt. And uh, the first, you know, big tournament that I did was the Mundials as a brown belt. And I took third. And then I went back and I did the Pan Ams and the Gi at brown belt. And I won. And then I went back and I did the Nationals and the Gi and I won in the Gi. And then I did the Nogi Worlds uh, in Brown Belt, and I won the Nogi Worlds. So I won everything at Brown Belt. And then uh, I got promoted to Black Belt shortly after that. And then how were you heading out to New York at the main hands? Uh, not too often. I mean, I would train with Ricardo, so I wake up at like 4 in the morning. Drive an hour to Ricardo's house. From there, we would drive an hour and a half to Parisi Speed School and do strength and conditioning. We would do strength and conditioning for an hour and a half. Then from there, we would drive an hour and a half to the city. We would train at Henzo's for two hours. From Henzo's, we would drive two hours back to Ricardo's. I would take a nap. And then I would take night classes at Ricardo's. I would do that three days a week. Uh, so I was training in the city like three days a week as like a purple belt and brown belt. Uh, and then it stopped because I got my own school and a lot of other things happened and goals changed and stuff like that. But uh, I was always heavily integrated in the, in, the, in the training in the city until, you know, I stopped competing. Yeah. Uh, I always hear all these stories about how tough it is. There's just like regular dudes that nobody had ever heard about. They're just killers in there in that, in that training. You know, yes and no, you know, because I, I, I never took trading lightly. So I was not the guy that like the nine to five worker was going to beat up. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> I was always like a, a bigger guy, a stronger guy. And I, I trained very rough. So I didn't have too many people beat me up in training, you know. Uh, so everybody's tough for sure. But I took every match 
serious, you know. So no matter who they were, like I stepped on the mat, and this was war. I'm not like that anymore. I'm too old for that, man. I don't. I don't want that anymore. But I, that's how I used to be. So I think there's more people that would have told you that, like, uh, I wasn't the the most fun guy to train with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then you guys have had this next generation come through the last few years. Obviously, Gary was the first one. And then Gordon, obviously, his brother. Now, Nicky Rod even is coming out of there. There's there's some, I mean, basically the best people in, in no gi right now are coming for your guys' team from your area. Uh, when did you start realizing that these guys were going to be special talents when they were coming up? Uh, Gary from day one, you know, because his dedication, his desire, his grit. So many people, when things get tough, they ask for a break or training's too tough or this and that. Gary never complained. The harder training was, the harder he trained. He never, ever asked for a break. He never complained. He never thought that things were too tough. He just showed up and he put his nose down and he trained and he improved quickly and his heart and desire was bigger than he is, you know. And then uh, Gordon, for sure, I saw the talent in him since the first time I met him. He was literally the same exact person he is, just knew no (laughs) jujitsu, but he believed that he was the best thing ever, you know, and uh, he was very talented, you know, for sure. So. I think it's something like, I think our team just breeds, you know, really, really high-level competitors because Team Hanzo has been in ADCC in every single ADCC that there's been. We've had guys representing everyone, every single one, you know, and that's that's really, that, that says something. That speaks volumes, you know. Yeah, I mean, all the way back to the beginning, Hanzo won it twice, right? Was it the first two or did he win the first and the third? But uh, what about Hanzo, too? I mean, Hanzo is such a... Uh... You know, charismatic figure. He's like an icon of the sport. What What was it like having you know Henzo as the figurehead of your guys' organization when you're coming up? Henzo is very special because, as serious and as tough as he is, he's equally as silly. You know, and he likes to have fun and he smiles and he has a he has a way of making everyone feel welcome. You know, and uh, over the years, it seems like people you know Henzo's developed a persona to where most people love him, but same some people dislike him right uh and he doesn't care if you dislike him like he's just you know in the past it was like everybody loves henzo he's just all smiles gonna give you a hug like he's just like very charismatic you know but he's very serious when it comes time to train and teach you like you better have your shit together because he 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 doesn't want any excuses you know they're just all very very the east coast brazilians the old school east coast brazilians I don't know so much about the new school because I, don't, I just don't know them personally, but they were very, very tough guys, you know, like uh, very serious guys, very, uh, very about fighting. They loved to fight, you know, fighting was in their blood, you know, and that was Hanzo. Hanzo was a street kid. Hanzo grew up in the streets. Like he grew up in the, like, he was like, it was like 15 kids in one house. Hanzo was like this little mal- malnourished Brazilian kid, you know, that found his way in the grappling world with, that didn't come without fist fighting for his food every single day, you know. So I learned a lot from Hanzo. You know, I was around Hanzo since day one. I've been to Japan with Hanzo since when I was a white belt. You know, it's like uh, he's a wild man, but he, he's so fun. He's – I tell him, like, the only way uh, I'm not part of Team Hanzo is if he kicks me out. You know, like I, uh, we don't talk much more, 
like we used to, we used to talk very often, but both of our lives have taken, you know, we're so busy in our own right. It's hard to really talk. You know, he's a general in his sense. I'm a general in my sense. And we both have a lot of things going on. So it's hard to catch up, but uh, he knows where my loyalty is. And, and I have a strong loyalty to Hanzo and I always have, and I always will. That's my team. You know, I'm thankful for them. What would you say would be like a moment in your jiu-jitsu career that you're most proud of? It doesn't even have to be competition. It could be something as a coach or a school owner or whatever. Like, what, what, what do you look back on was like a moment that you, you really enjoyed the most in your career? I mean, for me, I like seeing – I love when people tell me how I've helped change their life. And, you know, just – I think the most proud moment to me isn't just one moment. It's being able to create an environment where so many different people could call home. So many different people feel comfortable. It's not easy. It's not easy to do because along the, the way, you're going to upset people. You're going to get people mad. You're going to let people down by accident, by mistake. But, you know, I, I've given my heart and my soul to create this academy. And it's a place where people could call home. And that's for sure the, the proudest uh, achievement. And more so than that, I created an association. That's one of the proudest things that I've done as well. Because my association, the Tom the Blast Association, is basically I let my association do things how they want to do it. They could teach how they want to teach. They're not required to buy my geese. They're not required to buy my merchandise. Yet they have access to use my logos. They have access to use my name. And they have access to me every single day in a group chat. Any questions they have, I'll answer. Uh, and I just want them to feel comfortable teaching jiu-jitsu. To a lot of other associations, I feel to be in the association, you're like a you're in debt to the association. Like you, you're not your own boss. You have to do things the way they want it and you're getting reprimanded and you're getting yelled at. Man, my associated school owners, they're leaders. You know, they don't need me. They don't need me at all. They just find comfort in me and I find comfort in them. And they do things the way they want to do it and I support them. I just have to, you know, I'll, I step in and, you know, I, I, I give my two cents every now and then, you know, if I don't like the way I, if I don't like a post, if I don't like something done, I'll say it. And as we all know, I don't bite my tongue, you know. But uh, I think creating an association where we could go around the world and have a Tom the Blast school. You know, we have schools in Virginia. Uh, we, you know, we have schools in Maine, in Florida, in Canada, uh, in Kentucky, like literally Ohio. We're everywhere, man, you know. Uh, Texas, it's just like it's crazy. Costa Rica, like – and for me, this is just so, it's like, look, mom, we made it. <laughs> we made it, mom. You know, we made it. And I'm, I'm proud of that, you know. Oh, yeah. You got a school in Costa Rica. It's pretty cool. Yeah, nonprofit uh, school, man. It, it helps keep the kids off the streets. Uh, sex trafficking, drugs is very, very big in Costa Rica. And, and, and we they give them, Hero Academy, they give them, you know, an after-school program. They, they give, they donate food every day. Uh, you know, Rome started it and then Ron and Jason took over and they're just giving back to the community every day, donating. And it's crazy, man, because as much as they're doing, they still have people running their mouth. Oh, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing this. When these guys have hearts of gold, they're giving all their time, you know, back to a, a great cause. And, and yeah, I'm proud of all my guys, man. I think I know that guy, actually. I think I know the Ron. Uh, 
think he used to train with me at Carlson's in Chicago. Maybe there's a guy I used to train with at Carlson's in Chicago who's doing something like that in Costa Rica. Uh, Ron named, named Ron. Ron Jarman. Yeah, I used to train with him at, at uh, he said at Carlson Juniors in Chicago for three years. Uh, yeah. I think he moved to Costa Rica. He was like a, a blue belt when he left out of there or whatever. But yeah, he just like gave everything up and moved to Costa Rica. It's pretty interesting. I didn't realize he's he's linked up with you. Yeah, man, he's my guy. <laughs> That's cool. So. Uh, what else is new with you? You said you got you just you, you've been shooting some uh, instructionals. What are the new instructionals that are going to be coming? Yeah, I, I just put out a, a sequel to my uh, my first half guard domination, and I I did half uh, half domination too. It's in the gi. Most people look at us as just no gi, but like I spent my entire life training in the gi. Uh, like I said, basically the only gi tournaments that I've done, like I did like basically three or four, and I was like a white belt one when I won. And I won the Pan Ams, I won the Nationals, and I placed in the Mundials, and then we just gravitated towards no gi. I think for me, my game is actually better suited for gi than it is without the gi. Like a little uh, more, much more technical. It's very precise. Uh, I'm about to do probably a, a DVD, uh, an instructional striking for jiu-jitsu. And, nice. uh, you know, I'm doing uh, a lot of, a lot of like online classes. Uh, I'm offering once a week for for people all over the world just $15 for a seminar I limit it to 50 people they sell out every single week and this way I only limit it to 50 because I want to be able to answer everybody's question and I want to be able to interact and have that connection uh you know I could easily say all right we're going to allow it unlimited 200 300 people but then people are going home and I don't know them they don't know me this way if we keep it under 50 I have a direct connection and it's more intimate and I get to know them and I get to teach what they ask and I do my best to serve them, you know, and uh, they're going really cool. They're going awesome. So people don't understand, like so many people, are like, oh, they think I'm speaking out against this pandemic because like I'm hurting or something like I'm OK. Financially, I'm doing OK. I'll always find a way. Right. I'm a one percenter in this field. But so many people aren't doing OK. And what about them? What about the small school owners that are failing? What about the people with 100 students that live month to month and now they're done? You know, for some people, for some reason, people are under the assumption that business owners should have six months saved. Like, it's not that easy to do. You know, your your, your monthly bills are, they get very, very high, you know, and some yeah. people live month to month. And it's not that they're living extravagant. It's just that life adds up and life piles up. And it's not easy for these people, man. You know, and it's like, my heart breaks. I feel so bad for the people who are going out of business and not just jujitsu schools. Every small business, man, it kills me. It really, really affects me. Yeah, and it's like, it's not even, I mean, people can't say that the small businesses are being irresponsible because you're seeing this with uh, nationwide change right now. I mean, there, there's mega gyms that are that I'm hearing about going down, and they, they weren't ready to be down for two months. So how do you expect a, a small business owner to be able to do it, right? People don't understand. You ha The money you make, you put back into your school, right? Like, I just put probably about $40,000 into my school during this pandemic redoing everything and renovating that's a lot of money man you know it's a lot of money to put into your school and if you're not constantly putting money back you're gonna you're just gonna lose money right so like let's say i didn't renovate my school well the people like i want my students to know that they're coming back to something special they're coming back to something that you know it looks amazing it is amazing and uh it's just a lot man it's stressful there's no easy days man Truthfully, being running a business, there's no easy days. Yeah. 
So you had mentioned uh, how you think your game is better for the for the gi. How often do you train in the gi? I was training in the gi before this pandemic every day again for like the last few months, but now I'm not. I'm focused yeah. on MMA. Uh, I'm not looking to go back to MMA to, to grapple. Uh, let's let that be known right now. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> to go back. It's not happening. I'm too old to be fighting for a takedown the entire round. I don't want to do it. It's exhausting. I want to I wanna stand up and throw hands. So I don't care who, but again, if I'm going against a world-class class kickboxer, well, okay, maybe I'll go for a takedown, right? So be careful, be careful. Uh, but it's like, for the most part, I'm looking to, that's why I wanted to, uh, I would love to, you know, fight like an ADCC champion or, or something in an MMA event. All respect to everybody. Like I have, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not saying I'm going to crush anybody, uh, but I, I think it would be great. You know, because I like to punch a little bit more than most jujitsu guys, you know, and I think I do it a little bit better than most, you know. So I don't know, man. Whoever, any heavyweight that wants to fight, if they can get signed, if they're like a famous jujitsu guy, I would love to uh, to put on a show with them for sure. I think it would be a really, really great time. Although I have a little bit more experience, you know, I have eleven fights, but at the same time, man, my seventh fight, I was fighting people with thirty-five fights, you know. So it's like. When you're a jiu-jitsu guy, if you're a world champion, you know, I mean, I only have 11 fights. It's not a ton. So, you know, we'll see. But, I, I you know, I'm willing to do it, to mix it up on anybody. Again, I'm not guaranteeing victory, but uh, I think in a five-minute round, a world-class jiu-jitsu guy is uh, – might be I, – I think I'm going to be very tough to beat, right? Because if they do take me down, really, what are they going to do? Uh, what are they going to do? And they only have five minutes. And then if we're standing up – what are they going to do? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. And again, I'm not talking trash, guys. I love you. All love to you. But if you want to get it in, come punch me. I'm all about it. <laughs> How did you get the knockout power? Or did you come from uh, any type of boxing background or you just got uh, just a heavy, heavy handed guy? From my bloodline is a bunch of freaks. Like I am the weak. I am the weakest. I am the weakest in my family. You don't understand. My grandfather used to bend railroad spikes. I can't even budge them. My father used to get drunk and get bricks, red bricks, not these little karate bricks, red bricks, and put them on the ground and smash them and shatter them into pieces. Uh, he was fighting my whole life. My grandfather was fighting. My mother's father was an animal. They're like, they have like the, the English, Scottish, Viking blood in them. Uh, six, four, six, 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 eight. My mom's five eleven. So I'm just a product of some really good stock. And I've been throwing, I've been punching. I've been like literally fist fighting since I've been four years old. I've got my first fist fight at four. Uh, I didn't win all my fist fights, but I've been fighting my entire life. And, uh, my dad always taught me how to fight. You know, my dad would always, he would tell me like, man, you got to punch him in their throat. And I'm like, dad, but what if you, what if you kill somebody if you punch him in their throat? He's like, well, it is what it is. And I'm like, <laughs> so I was brought up in a very interesting way, you know, but yeah, I've been throwing hands my whole life, man. You know, I'm very comfortable on my feet. Again, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be anything, but I just like fighting. I, I like fighting. It's something that I find comfort in. For me, fighting is not uncomfortable. I'm more comfortable fighting than not, you know what I mean? And a lot of people fighting them is very, very nerve wracking to me. The process is nerve wracking leading into it is nerve wracking, but doing it is not nerve wracking, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, dude, you're, you're, uh, your family sounds like a bunch of savages. Your your grandfather been in the railroad spikes. Your dad breaking the bricks. Bro, family. <laughs> they're animals. They're animals. And it's funny because I'm very much into the. I don't know if you ever heard the Last Kingdom. It's on Netflix, right? I, I, I just started it. It's me and my wife just started it. I'm two episodes in. It's really good, man. Well, Uhtred of Bettenberg, Bettenberg, his town is 30 minutes from my town, so. My ancestors, the town of Elsden, my mother's maiden name is Elsden. That's their town. Bettenberg is literally right next door. So if you look at these people, and, and my mom has both sides in her, right? It's kind of like uh, kind of like the main characters. So because what happened was Scotland, they invaded England, the Scottish Vikings. So the only difference is in in the last kingdom it's the danes that are the vikings right but the vikings actually they they settled in ireland they settled in scotland very heavily in scotland in norway in denmark so for me i had english blood now the scotland the the scottish vikings invaded england somewhere along the line (laughs) one of the vikings i don't know who and someone from my family they decided to mate and uh (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. Many generations later, but I, uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm very interested. And my mom is so obsessed in her with her ancestry, and I never was before, but I am now. You know, I, I find, I, I find this pretty awesome because, man, I think some things are just in our blood. I think it's just who we are, and I didn't realize that until I look at my own kids. My kids are fire, you know, and it's like, who taught you this way? You know, who? I'm very gentle with my kids. I'm, I'm not a. Uh, I don't ever raise my voice. I don't ever yell ever. Like I have all the patience in the world with my kids, but like if you get on my daughter's wrong side, bro, the things that she says, the things that she's willing to do, she is like cutthroat. Like I'm not worried about my daughter with boys growing up. I worry for the boy, not for my daughter, not because of me. It's because she's a crazy woman, you know, and my son already, it's like they just have this, this fire inside of them that I don't know where it's come from. But it has to be in the bloodline for sure. That Viking blood, dude, makes makes a little sense now. I see a little bit of that uh, that guy who played uh, the, the mountain in, in Game of Thrones in you. I, I, I can see you being related to that guy. What's that guy's name? Uh, the guy who just broke the world deadlift record from, from over there. I, I, I didn't. I, I got a, uh, the, crazy, the crazy thing is, my dad's side too. He's Italian and twenty percent Middle Eastern. So there's all madness within my blood, bro. Viking, Middle Eastern, Italian. Like, there's just a lot wrong with me from day one, right? And then my kids are half Puerto Rican. So we know about those Latina women, right? So my daughter's yeah. half Puerto Rican. My daughter's half Puerto Rican. Uh, Viking, Italian, Middle Eastern. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Dude. All right. Well, we just got a few minutes left to make it to an hour. Uh, Tom, I got to get over to the fight to win weigh-ins. Actually, this is going to come out after. It's coming out Monday. It'll come out after these fights happen that I'm going to. But, but if you want to just say something to your fans out there, everybody watching, uh, I mean, hey, things are better than the last time I, we talked. We're seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but it's still uncertain, right? I do believe things are going to be okay, and I do believe that people, you have to stand for what you believe in. You know, don't you don't have to be disrespectful. You don't have to be crazy like you know, I'm in my school. I have people in my school. I don't have a megaphone outside. I'm not screaming. I respect my law enforcement, but I deserve to make a living like everybody else. You deserve to make a living too. 
respect everybody, show compassion. And, you know, uh, I, I truly, at the end of the day, my heart is in the right place and I want everybody to be okay. So much love to everybody. I appreciate you. If you love me or hate me, your my name is in your mouth and I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show, brother. I love what you're doing. Big fan of you. Thank you very much. Big fan of you too, Tom. I'll, uh, uh, I mean, hopefully it'll be soon. Hopefully I'll be seeing you at one of these events sometime soon. And, uh, yeah, nice talk to you, man. You too, brother. Have a good one, man. All right. Take it easy. Take care, boss.